You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Our text this morning, and also our reading, is Psalm 92. A psalm, a song, for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and to make music to your name, O Most High, to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy at the works of your hands. How great are your works, O Lord! How profound your thoughts! The senseless man does not know Fools do not understand that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. But you, O Lord, are exalted forever. For surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon me. My eyes have seen the defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in Him. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, I don't know about you, but this morning I'm very happy to be here. It's good to be here. There's a lot of things going on in our world right now that are troubling. Riots in the UK. Dictators cracking down in the Middle East. Financial pressures on Europe and America. Those are just the things that make the headlines in the newspapers. I can imagine that in your own lives, you're dealing with things, things difficult, things troubling, things that won't just go away. It's for that reason, among many others, of course, that it's good to be here. It's good to worship the Lord. It's good to be in a place where God's Word is front and center. Where we can take our focus off of the things in in this world and in our lives. Not entirely, of course. But we can take our focus off of them and put our focus onto God's Word. So that After focusing on God's Word, we can turn back to the things of this world and of our life renewed and refreshed. That is a big part of what the Sabbath is all about. The Sabbath. Rest. It's about taking our focus off of ourselves and our work, our works, our deeds, the deeds that are going on in this world, and putting our focus onto the deep and eternal things of God, on His works. 
Sabbath rest is a gift. It's a gift from God. And it's a gift for building our faith and confirming us in the blessings that God has given us. It's what happens as we put our focus on God's Word, as we listen to God speak to us. God Himself speak to us through His Word. This, then, is precisely the point of Psalm 92. We don't know who wrote Psalm 92 or when it was written, but we do know for what purpose they wrote Psalm 92, and it's right there in that heading, a heading that's very much a part of the psalm. It's a song, a psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. That's the purpose of this. This is for the Sabbath day. This is for the Sabbath rest. This is a psalm for us as we put our focus on God's Word, on God's works, and as we praise Him. What a fitting title it is. Psalm 92 is all about the mighty works of the Lord and the effect that His sovereign reign in this world and all of His doings as He works out His plan of salvation, the effect that that has on us. On what we do. And what we do here this morning, this afternoon, in this day, and in every day of our lives, in fact, is rest in that. We rest in God and in His mighty works. That's what we're going to focus on this morning. That's our theme. On the Sabbath, we rest in the mighty acts of God. That's what this psalm is all about. As we go through it, we'll see that the mighty acts of God themselves evoke praise. And so praise is a, a huge part of our Sabbath rest. They evoke praise. We'll also see that the mighty acts of God for which we praise Him involve His destruction of the wicked. We'll understand what that's all about. And thirdly, we'll see that the mighty acts of God, as we rest in them, revive the righteous. Revive them. Give them life and hope. In fact, everything that we need. On the Sabbath, we rest in the mighty acts of God. The thing about the Sabbath that we need to understand properly is that the Sabbath is not all about inactivity. If we think it's that the Sabbath rest is, is primarily or exclusively about inactivity, about not doing things, then we'll get it wrong. The Sabbath is not about Inactivity. In fact, as Psalm 92 teaches us with his opening words, if we think that the Sabbath is all about inactivity, then we're going to miss one of the most beautiful things of the Sabbath, the vigorous activity of praising God. It is an activity. It's a vigorous activity. It takes our whole body, our mind, all of us engaged in praising God. And what better day, what better time to do it And we're gathered together for worship on the Sabbath. The words of this psalm, the beginning words, establish the goodness of praising God. It is good. Describes that activity. It's good to praise God. 
to make music to your name and to proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. All of that, the psalmist says, is good. And with that, the psalmist brings us back to one of the most foundational descriptions that God's Word and God Himself uses of things in this world. Good. Now, we need to understand that we use this word good in a lot different way than it's often used, and especially that it's being used here in Psalm 92. We use the word good to describe something often that actually isn't that great. How was your vacation? It was good. How's your car running these days? That's good. But in the Bible, especially in the setting of this psalm, good is a a special word. It's, It's not being used in the way that I've just used it. Talking about cars, vacations. No, when God created the world, after every day He saw what He had made, He didn't say... This is totally spectacular. He didn't say, this is amazingly awesome, although, of course, those things would have been fitting. Now, what did God say? This is good. This is good. It's complete. It's whole. It's it's deep. It's satisfying. That's the way that good is being used here. It's good. And so it's it's in that manner of speaking that the psalmist says here, it is good. It is whole, complete, deep, satisfying to praise the Lord, to make music to Him, to proclaim His love and faithfulness morning through evening. So many things in our world are characterized by unsatisfying feelings, by momentary pleasures, by fleeting Feelings of satisfaction, joy. And as a result of that, we often find ourselves, don't we, searching after more and more and more. That pleasure passed, now I need another one. That moment of satisfaction is gone, I need to pursue some more. But it just leaves us feeling more and more dissatisfied and not pleasured. So the remedy for this is not more quick fixes. The remedy is more praise. More things that are good. Good, deep, whole praise. That's why it's good to be here this morning. Satisfying. But this praise, of course, doesn't develop in a, in a vacuum. It's not like I can say to you, let's all praise the Lord and we'll, we'll just do that. No. Praise is a response to God for what He's done. It's a response to the great and powerful works of the Lord. Says the psalmist, verse 4, You make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy, not because it makes me feel whole and satisfied, but because of the works of your hands. It's not some sort of happy, clappy, emotional high that's just kind of the same as all the unsatisfying highs that we've had in all the other pursuits of life smeared onto an otherwise vaporous life like some honey on a rice cake. It feels good for a moment, then it's gone. No, this is good, whole, deep, satisfying praise because it goes way beyond those deep, those superficial things of this world and it taps into the deep and eternal things 
of God, of the eternal God, and His plan that He's been working out from the very beginning that continues even now today. The mighty acts of God evoke praise. Good praise. What are the mighty acts of God? Well, the mighty acts of God in salvation, in saving His people, are what the psalmist is focusing on in this psalm. But His mighty acts include other things as well. His creation of this world in its vastness, in its intricateness. His providence in this world as God makes all things work in in harmony with each other. All according to His plan, under His care. Oh, the transforming work that God carries on in our lives. Making us more and more alive to Him. Removing sin from our lives. All of those things encompass the mighty acts of God. And these evoke gladness, joy, and unceasing praise. If you look at verse 2, it says, It's good, O Lord, to make music and to your name, O Most High. And then verse 2, To proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Now that does not mean that in the morning we are to proclaim God's love and faithfulness, take a break, do our work, come back later, and then praise God for His faithfulness. No, what the psalmist is talking about there is from the morning until the evening, all day, it's good. To praise God. This is why Psalm 92 is a favorite text for all kinds of occasions. Not the least of which is when we gather together for worship on Sunday. As we participate in the Sabbath rest today, brothers and sisters, we rest in what the psalmist could only look forward to. We rest in that mightiest act of God of all. That of atoning for our sins once and for all and giving us new life. A new life for God through the death and resurrection of His own Son, Jesus Christ. That's what we rest in today. And because of that, it is all the more good to praise God. Mighty acts of God evoke praise from the righteous. The mighty acts of God, brothers and sisters, are also destructive, defeating for the wicked. It's not popular in our day to affirm, believe, mention that God is just. That might be popular to talk about. But that God punishes wickedness, and wicked people. And that, in fact, this punishment is for eternity. It's everlasting condemnation. It's not popular. But the psalm, this psalm, and many others, in fact, especially this book of Psalms, is full of this theme about the destruction of the wicked. And it does so, you'll notice, in the context of praising God for His mighty deeds. Verse 5, How great are your works, O Lord! How profound your thoughts! The senseless man does not know, fools don't understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all evildoers flourish, they will be forever destroyed. Among those, those praiseworthy deeds of God is in fact the destruction of those who stand against Him. 
Now, that's a fitting picture of what it is to stand against God as the wicked do. I'll need to qualify this later, just so you know. But in many ways, it's like standing up against a, a freight train. In Langley, we know all about trains. I'm sure all of us have waited on the bypass or 200th Street, waiting for a train that just goes on and on and on and on. You can imagine how, how heavy that train is. You can imagine how much power it takes to, to move that train to keep it going. You can imagine what it would take to stop that train. Well, the relationship between the wicked and the one true God is something like the relationship between a person trying to stand up against that train. God is like that train in certain ways. Powerful, strong, and and unstoppable. God's works are great, in verse 5. Not only that, but the ways of the Lord are sure and straight and true. God does not change His course. He's, He's righteous. Psalm 33 says that the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The Lord doesn't change. He is who He is. That's how He revealed Himself to His people. I am who I am. God is perfectly consistent in His dealings. Everything He does is consistent with who He is, with His righteousness, with His holiness, with His majesty. Just like a train follows those tracks, so the Lord follows His ways. Who are the wicked? While the wicked, in light of the psalm, are those who stand up against the Lord, who stand in His way, who try to work against Him. They rebel and they cast off His rule. They're like the fool that says in their heart that there's no God. And they persecute those who serve and honor the Lord. They ridicule them. But when the wicked rise up against God, when they break God's law, and they invite their own destruction. So just like someone standing up against a freight train, coming at them, thinking that they're going to win. You cannot stand against a train and win. In the absolute words of the Apostle Paul, when he's telling the Thessalonians about the judgment that their enemies are going to face, the Thessalonians are being persecuted by Jews and Gentiles alike. It's very troubling for them. The Apostle Paul says to them, he reassures them with this one profound sentence when he says, God is just. God is just. It's okay. God is just. He'll pay back those who are persecuting you. We need to realize, however, that this is not always the way that it seems, is it? It can seem like the wicked aren't being brought to justice, but rather getting their way. So often we look at what's going on in this world, as I referenced at the beginning, and we go, what is going on? Where is the Lord? Where is that justice? that we know is true about Him. And this is what the psalmist references in verse 7. The wicked, they spring up like grass. They just grow everywhere. It's all the evildoers who are flourishing. 
That's what it seems. That's what's happening before our eyes. It happens all the time. How often doesn't it happen that those who perpetrate crimes against God and against His law just seem to skip out of justice altogether? Nothing ever seems to stop them. And instead, they joy, enjoy health and, and prosperity and enjoyment. Sometimes we look at them and, and we're jealous of, of the life that they have. Sometimes even from the spoils of their wickedness. Abusers are not brought to justice. Abortionists get rich off the proceeds of their crime. Tyrants use fear and violence to make themselves rich and comfortable. The wicked are just like the rioters and the looters of London, Manchester, Vancouver. You see these people in the midst of the riot and they are having the time of their life. They're reaping all sorts of rewards for their their riotous, unlawful behavior. They're walking along with big screen TVs, iPhones, boxes of alcohol, designer purses, whatever it is. Their crime is paying them right before our eyes. And along with all the masses around them, they seem to be untouchable. How is justice ever going to be served for these people? But we hope, sooner or later, justice will prevail. Britain, very quickly, justice prevailed. In one night, after several days of riding, over 400 people were charged. It's been a little slower here in Vancouver. But if this is the way it is for for rioters, how much more so for those who, who join the mad frenzy against God in this world? There's so many. Just go with the flow. You can get away from it. You can get rich off it. Just pile on against Him. Ignore His laws. Defame His name. Subvert His rule. Everyone else is doing it. There's no justice being done. But the psalmist says it's the senseless man who doesn't know, and it's the fool who doesn't understand that the wicked aren't going to enjoy this immunity forever. It won't last. Those who stand up against the Lord will be punished. They must. If they wouldn't, then God would not be God. The wicked will come to ruin. This is the truth that the psalmist urges us to take upon our lips. Surely your enemies, O Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. This is an unpopular sentiment. Truth. It's much more than a sentiment. This is an unpopular truth these days. Perhaps you find yourself finding it difficult to accept God's justice and the destruction of the wicked. If you find it difficult, then I would urge you to do two things. 
One, to consider the misery that is in this world. That is in your life. That's present all around us. If God does not punish wickedness, then what about all the the wickedness, the sin, the misery that's all around us? What's going to happen to it? Do we not long for it to end? Do we not long for God's justice to bring an end to this? Do we not long for the sin and all the, the effects of sin to be completely wiped away? That we don't have to struggle against it anymore. Because those who perpetrate wickedness are, are caught up in that. They're a part of that, that wickedness that brings so much misery in this world that God is bringing to an end. The other thing that I would urge you to consider is the fact of our Lord Jesus Christ and His death on the cross. Why did He go to the cross? Was it not to defeat wickedness? Was it not to conquer it? Did He not go to the cross and defeat Satan? That enemy which had stood against God and His people still does today for so much of their history, inflicting so much pain and misery upon them, working against them at every turn. Jesus Christ went to the cross to conquer Him, to strike a death blow to Him, that His days would come to an end. Yes, this cry for justice is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider these words. Words that our Lord must have experienced as He defeated wickedness on the cross. Verse 10, You have exalted My horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured upon Me. My eyes have seen the defeat of My adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. And so our Sabbath worship is prophetic. It speaks out against wickedness and it praises God for His work in destroying it. It confesses the justice of God. We praise God for destroying His enemies. We also praise God for reviving the righteous. In contrast with the wicked, which stand in opposition to God, the righteous align themselves with the Lord and they reap the benefits. We read all about those benefits in verse 12. The righteous will flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar of Lebanon. A palm tree maintains its greenness throughout the whole year. No matter what's going on around it, a palm tree seems to be thriving, doing well, staying green. It's very drought-resistant. And growing like a cedar of Lebanon, cedars of Lebanon enjoyed ideal conditions. Much like the cedars around here. Enjoying ideal conditions and growing to be massive, massive trees. The righteous become strong. They're strong in all situations. They become powerful, massive, like a cedar of Lebanon. 
They're planted in the house of God. They, they flourish in the courts of God. This is really interesting. In fact, there were pictures of palm trees all over in Solomon's temple showing uh, God's presence among them and the effect of that also as He is the Creator God, the God who created all these things, recreating a garden environment for His people inside the temple. There were pictures of palm trees and cedars were used in abundance in making the temple. But of course, that's not the point that there were pictures of palm trees and that cedars were used. But the point is that the temple is where God dwells with His people. It's there that His mighty acts are, are remembered and praised and even carried out through the atoning work of the priests on behalf of the people. And so that's the place to be. That's where you, you grow fresh, green, stay strong and healthy and vibrant throughout all the seasons of life. It's when you're in the presence of God when you're resting in His mighty acts. They bear fruit in old age even. Verse 14, they, they stay fresh and green. Even as their earthly life slows down, their faith and hope and love grow, produce abundant fruit for the Lord. That's the way of the righteous. But a fair question would be, who are these righteous? Who are the righteous? Because in, in our day, again, a being righteous is hardly a virtue. When people hear about righteousness, if you were to describe yourself as righteous, people would assume you're talking about self-righteous. Righteous people are a bunch of people who think they're better than everyone else and who think that they're going to get to heaven on the strength of their own merits, on how good they are or on how orderly and proper their life is. That's what God must look down and see how good they are. Those are the righteous. They think they're better than everyone else. They certainly think they're better than the wicked, don't they? Who are the righteous? Well, verse 15 in this psalm gives us some insights. The righteous are the ones who say, the Lord is upright. There's no wickedness in Him. The righteous confess the righteousness of God, not their own righteousness. They don't boast of their own goodness. The righteous boast in God. The righteous say, He is my rock. They confess their dependence and allegiance upon Him. I stand on Him. I don't stand on the strength of my own merits, on how good I am. That's not my righteousness. I stand on my rock, who is the Lord. He is my rock. The righteous, those who flourish in the presence of God, those who produce abundant faith are those who, in the words of Habakkuk 2, live by faith. They live by faith in God, not in themselves. And so the mighty acts of God revive the righteous because it's the righteous who rest in the mighty acts of God. The righteous are those who find their lives not in themselves, but in the Lord. The God who has done all this to save them. And this is why I had to qualify my freight train analogy, because it doesn't really work. If God was impersonal, like a freight train, then we would all be run over, wouldn't we? God's law is sort of like that. We measure our lo- ourselves by it, it runs us over. But God is not like that, or we would all be consumed. 
we would all have to confess that we stand with the wicked and not with the righteous. But from the freight train of God's law, He has provided a way out. In His grace, God sent His Son to die under the law that we might be saved. All those who align themselves with Him. All those who find their life in that great act of love and justice on their behalf. We rest in Him that we might be eternally saved. And so on the Sabbath day, thinking of the mighty acts of God, brothers and sisters, we are revived. And we rejoice in the great things that God has done for us, none of which is greater than the sending of His Son to become like us, that He might save us. No act is greater than that act of love expressed when the Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Says Paul, the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. It's good. It is good with jubilation to praise and glorify Your name, O Lord Most High, and thank You for salvation. Let's pray. O Lord Almighty, we praise Your mighty deeds. It is good, O Lord, because You have revealed Your deeds to us. And they are incredible. Incomprehensible. You have created. You maintain. You have saved. You renew. We praise You. We praise You, O Lord, because You stand against all who stand against You. We praise You for Your justice, which, O Lord, sent Your Son, Jesus Christ, to the cross to defeat sin, to defeat Satan, to defeat all of Your adversaries. We praise You that in that defeat, we find our life. We praise You for Your grace. We align ourselves with You. We confess that we, O oh Lord, are worthy of being destroyed by You. And so what can we do but thank You for the love and the grace expressed, shown, worked out effectively, in the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His name do we praise You. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.